Welcome to the Inner Huddle, the podcast for parents and coaches to help children fulfill their potential both on and off the pitch. Welcome along to the Inner Huddle Series 2, Episode 2. I'm Pez and as always I am joined in the studio with my right-hand man, Jeff. How are you doing, Jeff? Yeah, good, thanks, Pez. Excellent. And this episode is brought to you by Dimensions Carpentry and Construction, a friendly family-run business for turnkey refurb projects. Got any projects coming up, Jeff? (laughs) (laughs) I don't, Pez, no. You're the man who's been doing the garden for about three years, so um, perhaps it's time to call in some professionals. Any carpentry? Uh, That's my old man's work. Well, it was before he retired, so... You're going to get him out of retirement. No but if chance. Not, if not, we could uh, get Dimensions Carpentry and Construction on the case. Cool. Right. So as always, hopefully everyone's familiar with um, the way the show goes, but we have got 10 questions in front of us sent in by parents and coaches, mainly locally, but some from further afield and across the world, because we do have, believe it or not, Jeff quite a, a far-reaching audience. Series 2, episode 2. Who'd have thought we'd be lasting that long, Pez? I know, unbelievable. Well, we did have a long break. Um, and we should say that this is our second attempt <laughs> at episode 2. We got about halfway through and we had some technical issues. Um, I'd like to think we're pretty good coaches, but we're pretty naff at technical stuff, aren't we? You're far better than me, but even you struggled last time round. We struggled, gave up, and went for some lunch. Yeah. And now we're back on another day, and we're we're going to start again and um, see if we can do even better than last time. Not that we've listened to it back. Might be a load of rubbish. Don't know. Most probably. <laughs> Let's crack on. I'll start. Question number one. My son is fantastic in training, but doesn't have the same impact in his matches. How can I help him to reproduce what he does in training during his matches? Great question. Um, how great is it that they're, they're training fantastically well and make a big fuss of that? And we've never put any emphasis on the outcome uh, our sessions, have we? Um, and I think you've said a great quote in the past. I don't know if it's yours or somebody else's. <laughs> Probably not. Can you remember it? No. Um, I will as soon as you start. The, the matches are a, a blank canvas for the children to paint, to paint on. on yeah no that was one of mine Jeffrey well, no, it's a very good one love it yeah so um the important thing here is you'd rather that they were fantastic in training and not producing it than just being dog average at training or not very good at training so take the positives the 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 child's obviously got it there that just for whatever reason and not producing it when it comes to the matches and that will come with time um Matches just really give you experience and is good, obviously, for decision-rich environments and it's the actual game, so obviously you do need to play matches. But in terms of football development, training, if it's good training, especially far outweighs matches. And it's it's a case of basic mathematics, really, Jeff. If you've got, even if it's five a side and you've got ten children, you divide an hour by that and and how long the ball's actually in play, people are always amazed that their child's probably only on the ball for about 
one, two minutes maximum. I think even professionals are only on the ball about three, three and a bit minutes on average in a match. So children's a lot less, which just physically isn't possible for them to develop as good footballers. They can develop over their hour lots of experience and get lots of different interactions. And obviously there's a nice randomness to matches. But in terms of actually getting good with a ball, it's not enough. So I take the positives that they're good in training and maybe try to get to the bottom of why they've got some sort of performance anxiety um, when it's coming to matches. But don't make too big a thing of it or you could make it worse if you, know, if you keep going on and on about it. It's obviously feeling some pressure from somewhere, would you think, Jeff? Could well be that. It could just well be that they've played a lot less matches than they have done training. So it will just come in time, couldn't it? It's, um, but again, I'd just be so excited that training's going really well and make a big fuss of that. Um, and eventually it will come. And the best players are always the ones that eventually have carried on showing up and kept training well, aren't they, over a period of time? Like you said, it's just basic maths. Absolutely. There's, there's plenty of players that um, have an impact in matches for various reasons, maybe because they're super quick or they've got a really strong shot, or they're physically more developed than some of the other children. Um, and they can be having an impact in matches, but be terrible trainers. And trust me, you'd want it the other way around, because eventually, when the other children catch up, um, or learn how to deal with a quick player, or to play against someone who's physical, um, they've still got those attributes, but others have worked them out, and yet they're not very good with the ball, because they haven't trained very well. So better this way round than the other way around and uh, try to keep the pressure off them the best they can don't even mention it I wouldn't and a lot of children Jeff can get real het up about matches they think that there's more importance on it than perhaps there is and we've said it many times parents come alive when it's match time they don't when it's training you know even at a training session they're all chatting on the sideline aren't they and or sat in the car or whatever it might be and then as soon as it's like the end match they all come out and they all watch and unfortunately even shout out a few things maybe. We might be getting onto that a little bit later I think. Um, so children automatically perceive matches as being really really important to parents and that just on its own can put enough pressure on that they don't want to make any mistakes so they don't try things. Simple as that. Yeah maybe reinforce and encourage that the matches are there as entertainment as much as the result aren't they and, and just let kids go and try things and try and entertain the people that might be watching rather than worrying about outcomes and score lines and um, I think that's very much the attitude of the England cricket team going into the ashes at the moment and I don't know if they've ever been in such good form all those players because they're just allowed to go out and just be themselves express themselves and and play the crazy shots that they might not have been allowed to play in the past because it might have resulted in a negative result um, and an outcome. But I would very much encourage the kids to go and express themselves and, and try and entertain. If it was me, I would um, watch my child's training and then make a big deal of how good and how much effort that they've put into that training session. So reinforce that positive with as many positives as you can. Um, don't focus on any sort of training match they've had within that training, but the actual stuff they've done within the core of the, the training session. Um, just to re-emphasise that, 
and then not really make a big thing of the matches at all when they're coming up. Especially don't th say things like, let's see what you do in training in matches today and, and build it up. Just take your Go and enjoy yourself. Go and express yourself. Go and have some fun. I've seen what you can do in training, so go out there and play. Just enjoy it. And um, not pick out on any negatives during the match, especially for a while. And um, you might find it turns around pretty quickly. Yeah, and if a coach has ever said to you in the past, just go out there and play and enjoy yourself, it makes you feel about 10 feet tall, doesn't it? It makes you feel your shoulders come up, yeah. chest puffs out. It makes you feel like a player. And that's probably the best advice you can give. Well, gosh, even in that charity match that I played in last year, when the gaffer said, just go out and play. So we know you can play. Just go and enjoy yourself, express yourself, make others play. You, you do, you feel 10 feet tall. He probably said it to everyone else as well. <laughs> but that's good management. Right, let's go on to question number two, and I shall ask this one. Charlie Webster continues to impress. Do you think you'll see the likes of him again? And for those of you who don't know, Charlie was one of our players from about the age of five to ten um, when he got signed by Chelsea Academy, and he was there from... So under 10s or under 11s, all the way through, all the way through age groups, became a scholar and then signed a professional contract. He's been on the bench once, maybe twice for the first team. He's still yet to make an appearance, but he's flourishing in the Premier League 2, the PL2, and for England in all youth levels that he's represented them in. Um so, Jeff, do you think we'll see the likes of Charlie again? And I think it means us personally rather than in general. Yeah, so this will be a more localised question, I yeah. guess, in our little rural community that we're from. Um, <laughs> um, I think this is a yes and no answer. So do you think we'll see the likes of him again locally? Um, we'll see that potential walk through the door, kids that, are bouncing on the balls of their feet and just love having a ball at their feet and love the sessions um, and love being a part of that process that you've delivered for years at Peza Street Soccer. Um, whether or not someone can go on to get as close to their potential as that again, um, with the current ecosystem of local football, if you like, having changed over the last 10 years, um, I'm probably going to say no would be my answer and you can probably go into a lot more detail as to why that is Pez. Um, I agree totally although I should say Charlie was a little bit special from the first time he walked in He'd, uh, he sort of bounced in didn't he on the balls of his feet loads of enthusiasm and it didn't take long to realise wow this kid moves well um, very very good trainer so touching on what we said before about being good at training I mean Charlie didn't play proper matches or official matches, you used to say, until he was an under nine. So he just did nothing but Pezza's training for, what, four years. Um, and even when we did start a team up and enter a local league, um, we didn't do any team training, not once, all the way through. And bless him, the, the lads won everything, didn't they? Scored hundreds of goals. Um, do we think we'll see the likes of Charlie again? Like you said, we'll definitely have some Charlies bounce into the hall. Um, and the potential will be there. The problem we have nowadays 
and I think it's not just locally, but players that are individual training centres like ourselves don't tend to be able to keep hold of the kids for long enough to, for them to fulfil their development. So when we started, Jeff, we probably have a Charlie and all the others we had at that period staying for between one and six years. So school years one to six. Um, and that gave them such a platform and such foundations to then go on and be whatever they wanted to be. They could pretty much do anything with the ball. Um, and then they could go and really learn the game. And now the way football's going is, with elite leagues and things starting up, everything seems to be about getting results and recruiting players. So our players become very good very quickly because they're working with the ball each individually a lot of the time. And then all the managers for the teams that are looking to improve and to recruit try and take our children out. I was going to use the word poach, but it's not poaching. They've got every right to. You know, they're good players. Um, and it's just the way it is, is that then they end up playing for their friends on a Sunday, a JPL team on a Saturday, or an equivalent league, um, training with those teams at least two, maybe three times a week, and something has to give. And because we're not a team, it tends to be us, um, which breaks our heart, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of a combination of what we discussed earlier, isn't it? Them going away, thinking that playing with the best players in the local best grassroots league, where the scouts might be, where the scouts might be is going to be the best thing for them to then progress up the ladder. But your theory, if you like, is no, stay with us and keep improving at the rate that you're improving at. And then you might be jumping out that middle bit where you might have a year to 18 months of far less touches of the ball, far less football, futsal interactions uh, in the sessions. And then you're not in that accelerated learning environment exactly anymore. Whether or not it's dressed up as it is because it's the, the, the link between grassroots and academy or whatever, it, the quality isn't there because kids aren't then pushing on from there as much as they were in the past when they were just doing what they were doing before. So if it wasn't broke, don't try and fix it. Yeah, well, I think... And stay with it. A lot of these teams are under pressure to win um, because there's a lot of them now. Again, I think there's a question about this coming up as well, um, which so we'll touch on it more later. But when the emphasis is about results and recruitment, and by default, development goes out the window. You can't do everything and you've got a set amount of time. So training tends to become more about organising a team to win a game of football. So recruiting the best players you can, finding a system that works for them and organising them to win a game. Now that is polar opposite to developing children to become good at football. So if you're not doing any of that alongside the organising, you might get to an age where you know, school year seven, eight and beyond where you know what to do on a pitch, but you can't actually do it. You can't execute it <laughs> or someone else's plan if you're going moving up through the, the leagues and the levels because you're simply not that good enough with the ball. So yeah. You need to build the foundations with the ball, get good at football um, and not just know what to do on a pitch and where to stand 
and maybe even how to receive the ball in certain areas and to get crosses in the box and all those sort of I call them adult-like traits where you just need to become a master of the ball so then you can play pretty much to any manager's plan in the future but people seem to skip that process want to go straight into a league um, where it might look good and they think that that's the best place for them and really and the proof's in the pudding really at the moment it's it's not proved to be that way and this question is about Charlie Webster and it's obviously about an an athlete that's gone on to do really well in the game but if you then strip it back down to the level behind that and the level behind that and the level behind that I mean there was kids at the same age group in their first session weren't bouncing into the hall with the same attitude and the same desire and the same aptitude to learning as Charlie they were sat in the middle of a sports hall having a tea party <laughs> and within three or four years they're at and around the same level were playing at the same level as Charlie was um, at the same age group so at every level then it's going to then come back down and then the players that are selected for these elite teams the level's lower than it was before and it just so yeah no I don't think we're going to see a Charlie again but we're also not going to see the next level the next level the next level I don't think attaining the same levels that we were getting to because it's all going to get much more watered down now I mean if these managers are losing games they're going to try and find out why and it might be oh because our centre half's too slow right well let's get in a new centre half not how can we develop that yeah. centre half to learn how to deal with quick players? Um, that might take too much time. So then the emphasis on can we recruit? And then unfortunately, that poor boy or girl might be out in their ear on the bench and, and, and pushed out. So we've digressed a little bit. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think they're just trying to say is Charlie a phenomenon or is he a one off? Yeah. Um, and no. I don't think so. He had a great aptitude for training, but then so have a lot of other children. And it's not about getting to the level of Charlie. It's about fulfilling every child's own individual personal potential. Um, And that's becoming harder and harder to do just with the way football is nowadays and structured. That's what I was trying to say, (laughs) but you did it much more succinctly. Well, I just took what you said (laughs) and shined it up a little bit. Happy? Yeah, that was well put. Thanks, mate. No problem at all. Do you want to go with number three? Question number three. What's better for my child's development, playing with the best players and winning, or playing with players with less ability and struggling? Okay. Shall I go first, as you asked? Yeah, go on. Um, I'm going to read it again. Playing with the best players and winning, or playing players... In all honesty, you need to get a nice little balance of everything across a period of time really if everything's too easy you're going to get a lot of the ball which is great but you're not going to get challenged if everything's too difficult um, not only is it frustrating and not so much fun but you're not actually going to get on the ball enough to develop I wouldn't worry too much about either as long as your training's excellent and again that goes back to the question number one we've talked about training is the most important thing and as Jeffrey so wonderfully put it, the matches are just the blank canvas where the children go and paint on and express themselves. So don't get too het up about it. If you're losing, so don't get too carried away 
with the highs, don't get too low with the lows. Think about the development of your child and the developments done with training. So look at how good training is, not how professional it looks, because there's plenty of training that looks professional, Jeff. Um, and when you actually analyze it, it isn't particularly good for development. Um, but have a look at how much contact time, purposeful contact time, your child's getting with a ball um, and in the match time within the training are they allowed to try things and express themselves and, and fail and what's the training attitude or the coach's attitude to mistakes and failure and how do they pick the children up um, after they haven't been successful those little things are what's important and I wouldn't worry too much again about the match time although it's always fun to pick up a few tin pots, I guess, along the way. So a lot of parents like that, so they can get some social media posts and the kids obviously like it. Um, who doesn't like winning a trophy? But I actually think in terms of resilience and character and experience, you are actually going to learn more in the struggle. You only learn in the struggle and the hard times. How many times have we seen kids who play for really good teams win everything, then they come to one of our sessions um, or a holiday camp even and they can't get near the ball or they can't win and they can't handle it, can they, Jeff? Yes. Um, I think there's another question coming a bit later around this a little bit too, but um, I think it's nice to strike a balance between playing with good players and being able to not dominate, but be able to have it your own way sometimes so you can work on both sides of the game. And I think it's you that's told me that in the past as well, and I, I couldn't agree more with it. Um, I think at, at Pez's Street Soccer and at Wessex Futsal Club, we do everything in double age bands, don't we? So um, the the last age group at, at Pez's is under 10s and under 11s, yeah. and then the first age group at Wessex is under 11s and 12s mixed together. So you get a year where you're stretching yourself and playing up a year and not having it your own way and then a year where you're the leaders the captains the legends that are trying to drag everyone else's standards up with you and every year I get to the well where are we now we're in June July time aren't we and um, almost towards the end of the sessions um, for the under 16s and at the start of the year I look at them and I think oh they're a long way off where the men's team are now and then towards this part of the year every group I can see actually now you look ready now you're ready to kick on and I, I think doing that the whole way through has really helped them get to so that being point the youngest in one year then yeah. the oldest in the room then the youngest and every time that they become the youngest I think oh they're going to struggle this year they're going to really yeah. fight and then a few months in there's not that much disparity between the two age groups and then they're almost catching them towards the end and then it's time for the others to move on and for them to yeah. be stretched so and the older ones in that situation have learned you know, a bit of leadership and they can be mixed in with yeah. younger ones if they need to and some of this was thought out and that was the plan yeah. but I didn't think it was ever going to be as effective and as useful for everybody involved as it's worked out to be so maybe that might be a way forward if you can find a club that maybe has double age bands yeah. and, and, and does it the same way yes I think that's um, touches on a lot of what we've already said maybe even about Charlie he went. He did that from school years one to six, and that certainly helped him. Mm. And of course, if a 
if a child's only coming into us now for a year and disappearing, it might be well, obviously it's going to be either the youngest one of that band or the oldest one in that two-year age band. It's not anywhere near fulfilling the whole process, is it? Exactly. So they're they're like Jedi knights who haven't <laughs> passed their Jedi training. Ah, we always get on to Luke Skywalker and we love Star Wars, yeah, don't we? we analogies. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably answered that one the best we can. Question number four. Do you want me to do four as well? Why not? I saw a great video online of a basketball coach telling parents off for shouting out from the sideline. What are your thoughts about parents shouting instructions? Well, you sent me this, this video, Jeff. Yep. And I think my reply was, I couldn't love this video more, love heart. Um, so I've seen the video, I think it's excellent. Um, and I wish at times in my career life, I'd have had the confidence to do what this chap is doing in the video. And basically in the video, um, it's American basketball and the youth coach um, has a bit of a pop at a parent, I think for shouting out to their child to shoot, which is very common in football or soccer, as they say as well. Um, and my views on it are that anything that um, affects a child's decision-making in a match is wrong. So do not do it. And that includes shouting out, putting pressure on them in the car on the way to the game, um, paying for goals, saying if you're man of the match today, or player of the match, I should say, today, um, we'll stop and get McDonald's on the way home. So anything that you're trying to do to get into your child's head that might affect their decisions. For example, if a child's on £10 for a hat-trick and a player, a teammate, is in a better position, they're not going to pass to their teammate. They're going to try and shoot and and, and bag their tenner. Um, and if they do, they'll get their tenner, they're happy. And mum and dad are put on Facebook, oh, another hat-trick for Tiny Tim today. Everyone seems happy, very short-term in terms of long-term development, horrendous. I don't know what your thoughts are, Geoffrey. Yeah, so I think this particular video, the child, it goes back to the last question a little bit. They look like the youngest, they're the smallest in the session. Yeah, I think he even says that, doesn't he? Yeah, and um, I think Dad wants him to go for the layup. I'm not very familiar with basketball, although I've watched quite a few documentaries on it recently. Um, and he's just never going to get a layup because everyone else is massive around him and to block and screen and whatever you do to stop them getting the basket is easy for the big players around this smaller player. Um, so therefore the child's actually worked that out for themselves and wants to get in and around, I don't know if it's called the key or the what, what it's called in Jeffrey, basketball. such knowledge. Getting in around that area underneath the basket and set people up basically. So if it was futsal, it would be a, a back post, square it, mm -hmm. take the goalkeeper out of the game, bit of a FIFA move. Um, so that's why the coach goes off on one because the parent is doing exactly that. They're changing their decision making and actually probably for an outcome that's never going to be successful and less this child has a growth spurt at some point and, and bulks out because they were tiny. So um, again, if you were going on a futsal trial ever 
Um, I'm, I think 99.9% of futsal coaches, if they saw your child make a good decision to play at back post, that would be a big tick against your child. If they thought that they'd gone for a shot um, when the pass is a better option because you're a parent on the sideline telling them to get loads mm-hmm. of goals or whatever and buy McDonald's or whatever the outcomes are that you're promising, then that's probably a big X, especially for a futsal coach, even more than a football coach, I would say, because yeah. it's it's a very much team-orientated game and a back post finish is a futsal finish that everyone's very aware of in the futsal world. So um, it is would it, be a massive one. It'd be a massive no-no. There's a, a reason why parents are academies, all the ones I've been to or been involved with, there's a reason why parents aren't allowed to say anything during matches. Um, even if their parents are ex-pro um, and might have played at a miles higher standard than the coaches there, it's um, it's confusing, it's um, off-putting, it adds pressure, and the coach or the manager might have given that child a specific instruction or a development challenge to do within that game that that parent doesn't know about and that's done to progress their development and aid their development um, and maybe part of a long-term plan and you shouting out shoot score tackle get it away clear it whatever it might be are all classic examples um, get into the player's head and might be not what the coach has asked for because many parents shout out looking at it as getting a team result and a win, whereas you'd hope that the manager and the coach are looking at it as how can I best develop these players. And it might be that the defender in the team's got a lot of potential, but they keep hoofing the ball away, and the manager's asking them, no, even under pressure, can you take the ball and, and try and play out from the back, get your head up, you know, relax. And then... That kid gets on the ball, mum and dad are shouting, get it away, clear it, clear it. It's confusing messages um, and and affects their decision-making and ultimately their development. And we've talked about this before, but I have had this, haven't I, Jeff? Um, yeah. And I'm always reluctant to say it, but I'm going to say it this time. It was Charlie and it was his dad and it was a match and it was only an in-house match. And I'd asked Charlie um, I think it was half time or if we play quarters it was one of the breaks I'd noticed that he was getting doubled up on by the opposition um, two or three players and so I I asked him how he felt that could help the team an intelligent lad said he can create place, um, space for other players to play in so I said okay so now when you've got the ball because you're good enough Charlie why don't you take it away from the goal and into the corners and then that will create space for someone else and then you're good enough to maybe find them with the ball with the cross and as he was running into the corner with two or three opponents chasing him his dad did shout out to him something along the lines of where are you going Charlie it's in my book by the way I wrote a chapter on it Um, and I wasn't too impressed I think I shouted out can you leave him alone and um, it didn't go down too well, did it? And then there was a lot of tension then left in the match and it just, it, it, it wasn't good. And, but we had a chat afterwards, went for a coffee and explained. And I think it happened twice, didn't it? And you stopped the game during the game. I've never seen you do that before. Yeah. A bit like this basketball coach, actually, just stopped 
because yeah, it was an in-house game with yeah. was it the age group above I think it was well they I think they were still mixed at that time right, so okay. they were probably playing against the age group below or whatever it was yeah. but um, that's exactly what happened it was a very similar scenario through the whistle stop but again I got to take some responsibility because I should have told the parents beforehand one not to shout out if they can help it only encouragement and two that I'll be giving them individual challenges um, that they won't know about so it might not look quite as they think it should and I didn't do any of that so yeah. faults on all side but it's a good good little story to to highlight it's why academies spend a lot of time educating parents around this sort of thing aren't they getting ex-players in to come and say what their experiences were and we have had parents tell us since they've heard it from their academy and an ex-professional coming in and talking about it they get it now but it shouldn't take that to get it should it because you've been harping on about it for a long time but um, well, people often ask me Jeff why do you play music at your training sessions <laughs> and well the cat's out of the bag now it's so that I can just turn it up if there's a shouty parent that's one reason um, why we have it in the matches the other reason is it keeps a nice high tempo going for anything that we're doing that's a little bit repetitive the real reason is because it keeps a high tempo it aids rhythm <laughs> timing and, and all that and yeah. rhythm for the players whilst they're learning that is true but it's great for drowning out parents as well yeah, yeah I, if you ever see me turning it up during a match then I should say <laughs> then, then you'll know um, I have also seen and I wrote a little note here over the years even when parents know that it's frowned upon and they might even realise some of the negatives around doing it I have seen them get round it in particular I've written here water bottle mums and dads this is a trick that's been going on since I've started I don't know how many years ago where the player arrives either at training or at a match and they don't put their drink with all the other children's drinks they, their parent keeps hold of it and then when it's a water break or half time or if it's quarters every quarter um, the child has to go over to the parents to get some water and then they'll receive advice and um, analysis on their performance pep from talks pep talks thank you Jeff um, and not pep Guardiola talks <laughs> <laughs> just pep talks from mum and dad so please don't be one of those um, it might not be obvious for a while but I've seen it so much we know what you're doing um, don't do it just let them come over with their water bottle and put it with the rest of them and it's their time it's their time We've, as adults, have had our time playing sports and doing what we want to do. It's their time now. Let them enjoy it and have that hour or whatever it might be to themselves. You don't need constant analysis. It's a good parody or skit there, isn't it? The not Pep Guardiola talks. Yes. Um, and I finally hadn't finished the book. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be going in there. Chapter header. What's it called when you rewrite a book and put it back out again? Just um, volume hassle. two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think everything that we're discussing here is about coaches trying to redefine what success looks like for long-term development. So success to most people is going out winning a game on the weekend. But we're trying to find lots of cheats and hacks and tricks and ways of 
encouraging children to flourish where the scoreline actually doesn't matter. And if they're stood there with a water bottle, the reason being is because they're actually trying to get them back to winning and outcomes and and going against what the coach is saying. So it's it's actually horrendous, isn't it? It's like the worst yeah. thing. You you may as well not have the coach there if you're then just going to pull your kid over and give him one of their pep talks again. Yeah, and I expect these pep talks have nothing to do with the team. Mm. It'll all be very much why you're not shooting, why you're not doing this, or I suppose sometimes can be praise. Yeah, you're playing really well today, but I don't like it. Um, unfortunately, Jeff, in football, there's only a few. I think this is the right term, analogy, um, metrics to gauge success, perceived success. So, if your child scores, that's a success. If they score a hat trick, that's bigger success. If they get player of the match, you can measure that. Measurable. That's probably the word I should have used. Um, um, and if your team has won or lost, whereas development. Um, it's much more difficult to see because it's over a longer period of time. What's uh, the book called again? Uh, did you win? Did you score? Yeah. Out soon, hopefully. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a lot of parents want those things because that's how they can judge black or white how their child's progress is coming along. And it it could be that your child's scoring a load of goals because they're bigger and stronger and got a harder kick than everyone else. And actually, whilst the emphasis is on that, the potential of them being a really good centre midfielder or defender or a nice winger is going out of the window because the focus is just on how many goals have I scored? How many times have you seen it, Jeff, at the weekend? Facebook in particular. Oh, there's Tiny Tim's 628th goal of his career or his 33rd goal of the season. And you think, okay, he's 10 or 11. I told you last time you're not allowed to say Tiny Tim anymore. Oh yes, because it's upsetting Tiny Tim. Yeah, well he's not tiny, <laughs> but we have a parent of one of the kids who's called Tim, and he has put in a request that I stop referring to everyone as Tiny Tim. So sorry, Big Tim, but <laughs> Tiny's Tiny's still there. Um, enough on that one. Yeah, and if you if it's that outcome based you're probably missing the child that's doing all the work that's getting your child those goals or whatever the outcomes are that you're getting excited on your Facebook post about. So try and just look a little bit deeper and and maybe catch the things that long-term are going to keep getting success and praise it. But yeah, I think that's enough. Oh, is that question still just on the back of the video, the basketball one? Oh, I don't know. Oh my goodness. Yes, yes, it, it is. is. Wow. Question number five next. Cool. We went right off there, didn't we? Sorry, mate. Woo. <laughs> right. Question number five. My turn, isn't it? Yep. What have you seen change over the years you've been coaching? And is it easier or harder now than when you started? Well, Jeff, we've been coaching pretty much, or children, similar time. don't want to show my age, but I started actually coaching in 1997 with adults. But with kids, it's my 21st year. I know, I know, I don't sound it. 1997. I think that was my first FIFA game, was FIFA 97. Oh, I think mine was FIFA 98. But again, we digress. So <laughs> do we think it's easier than it was or harder? I mean, I'll throw it out there. It's easier on one hand, because obviously we are a lot more experienced and there's not a lot that we haven't seen. Um, 
but harder in many other ways. Do you want me to highlight some of those, Jeff? Or do you want to jump in there? Um, yeah, you, you go, and then I'll, I'll have a think whilst you're talking. Does that sound <laughs> yeah. good? Because luckily enough, I've made some notes. Oh, top man. Um, so harder things that I've seen. Well, we've already talked about some of it. Sorry for us personally. We're getting kids to a certain level. Um, I'm thinking, oh, they're on this trajectory, and we can now compare them to Charlie and Finn and Kean and Vaughan that are all full-time professional footballers now. And I'll tell you now, don't want to upset them, but there's plenty better than that come in now at their better than they were at their age, if that makes sense. But we used to get at least two from every age group a year sign at Pro Academy. That's not the case anymore because they leave too soon. So parents, all the children themselves trying to take shortcuts to academies is actually harming their chances of getting to academies. So that's one thing. But in terms of the the children themselves, a lot more children struggle with um, failure now than they used to. So they don't like losing at all. Not everyone, but the number has increased over the years. Um, a lot of children now have a fixed mindset in terms of they don't like doing anything that they're not already good at, which is horrendous for development because to get good at anything, you need to be prepared to be a little bit rubbish or a lot rubbish at it when you start. So if you're only doing things that you're already good at, you're only going to improve at that, um, which is okay if you want to master that particular skill or turn or whatever it might be. Um, but the um, percentage of that improvement is not as much as if you're starting something new, some different things that you're not so good at, and you fail it loads, and you're rubbish at it loads, and then you learn from those mistakes, um, and then you accelerate to learn whatever it might be you're trying to learn. So that's changed over the years. Um, what else have I got here? Um, parents wanting more instant success and gratification. So we've touched on that a lot. So with social media in particular, if a child hasn't scored or their team haven't won at the weekend, then there can be a lot of miserable parents out there now that can't get that nice. So proud of Tiny Tim. Sorry, Tiny Tim. So proud of Tiny Tim this morning. Another hat trick and a great win for the team. Go Reds, or whatever it might be. You see it all the time. And if the team's lost or the child's not scoring goals, or even if the team's won and your child might play in defence and gets none of the glory, yet the kids that have scored are the ones that are getting all the praise and the social media posts, there's a fear of missing out comes in. Um, and so there seems to be this urge to get this instant success rather than thinking about the children's long-term development. Jeffrey? Yeah, so I'll try and sum that up. Yeah, I sorry, because I, I wrote notes. When no, I write no. notes, I'm, I waffle on a bit. So culturally, do you think there's a lot more people that feel entitled to success and that translates to football as my child should be in an academy because that's... I don't know about entitled, but they see it a lot more now. 
So when I was young, I knew two or three players in my whole youth career that had ever had a trial and they didn't yeah. even get in. And they were the best players and you all knew it and accepted it. You'd almost be like, fair play, they've had a trial and I know why, because they're really, really good. Now, anyone that can half kick a ball um, is either at a been at a development centre or in a shadow squad or in an elite team or an elite league or an elite... Yeah, something that's dressed itself up to be something that maybe it's yeah. not necessarily that. So And now the difference is all of those things are now put on social media. So you're comparing your child to other children who've got tracksuits from this new wonderful place that's called themselves, I don't know, elite something or other. Um, got to be careful because I don't want to name a real one. But... <laughs> You know, and they think, oh, perhaps my kid's better off there. And then when they're there, they think, perhaps my kid's better off here. And, oh, that tracksuit looks nice. And, oh, they've had a few children go on to be at a professional academy. And you end up taking the children around the houses. More clubs than Tiger Woods, as they say. Um, and actually, as we've been saying since the start of this podcast, it's the training that's the most important thing. Find somewhere where the training's really, really good. And the coach really, really cares about the child's development. And if you can do a little bit individually at home and see where it takes the child. Don't worry about all the <sighs> frills and bits around that go along with it. Um, the Facebook posts and the wins and the, the tin pots. I forgot what the question was. Oh, what changes have we seen over the year? And is it? Uh, which, which number is it five five and that's another thing is it harder now than when you started so yeah so it is harder in, t- in terms of those things because you don't we don't get to keep the children long enough to fulfill their development um, there's more choice for parents out there which you think would be a good thing but they tend up and tend to end up sorry um, taking them around all the clubs to see how the clubs are and if there's one coach that sees some amazing potential in your child that no one else has and can put them on the right pathway to instant success mm. so it has become a lot harder in those terms and I suppose when we started out the coaching courses were very I don't really know how to describe it, but they were kind of bland weren't they there wasn't yeah it didn't really feel like you were going to go and then help children um, and I think we both found kind of when we found what we found and started doing what we're doing I think we probably both felt exactly the same way in that it was something that was really going to have a positive impact on children in the local area and help them thrive and develop with all the individual ball mastery um, stuff I think as time's gone on lots of people have tried to dismiss individual training and coaching so that's kind of it doesn't yeah. really worry me, but it's kind of it's tough to see people do that. And they can back it up because there might be a team that they're involved with that's winning things. Yeah, and but I think we can also back it up, and people will say, "Well, where's the evidence that individual ball mastery and isolation drills is the yeah. thing that people like to slate it as?" Um, and I think well, so naive when it's we've got lots of anecdotal evidence of children that have done pretty much nothing but this and then gone on to be very successful from an area that has had very limited success at these levels in the past so 
I would say there's plenty of evidence if you look deep enough, but also if you go into it deep enough, you'll. I, I don't. I don't understand how anyone can't see what we see when we deliver these sessions, and um, I'm going to say outcomes that we get, but with the development outcomes, if you like, yeah. individual development outcomes that we get. Um, so there's so much more information out there for helping coaches now, but it can also be overwhelming. Um, but there's also lots of people that want to dismiss what we've done for years that's been successful and I don't know why you'd want to dismiss it without finding out a little bit more about it because they don't understand it so it's possibly easier, easier to dismiss and it, I mean in our area Jeff we haven't had a professional player of note um, since I think Nigel Spack when he played for is it Rangers Chelsea and Liverpool um, don't quote me on that but um, back in the late 80s early 90s and kids love football in this area yeah and through what we do which is individual personal training and development um we've had over 50 sign at professional academies and now we've been doing it long enough we've got four full-time professionals and okay they have not done much yet but yeah there's still time for that there are other ways to get there as well i'm not Absolutely. i'm not dismissing anybody else's coaching methods and styles and things like that but the amount of times i see people get really protective and about what they're doing and dismissive about the type of training that we do it probably did used to upset me i couldn't care now i couldn't care less really mm. what other people think because i feel like we've we've done it i've got i don't feel yeah. like i've got anything to prove to anybody i don't know if you do or not but i feel like we did once feel like we were on a mission to prove what we do is actually really good yeah it just seems like everyone was starting to get it and then these sort of elite places and elite leagues pinged up everywhere and then it's suddenly become about results and recruitment and a rat race yeah and I think it's damaged could have been so much more couldn't it if it had been it's, it's almost gone back to what it was yeah. at the start now yeah with just getting a group of players together organising them to win a game of football seems to have gone full circle back to that now but with shiny badges and saying the right things and nice tracksuits yeah it's um, controversial isn't it Jeffrey but it's, for us it's true isn't it it's not what we've seen it's what we've experienced we've been on the ground doing it for yeah. I don't know how long like you say Jeff there, there are other ways I'm not just saying it or even doing this podcast to advertise what we do because there's people all yeah. over the world that listen to it we're we, a very small soccer we school we do in a very try small and place. dive deep into all types of coaching as well don't we and, and have a look at yeah, I think there's a bit of everything involved in all of our sessions. To be honest, like, what's our well, topic? We've got a lot of Coerva stuff involved in it, and we, you know, we went and got qualified at Coerva. Yeah, um, and that's massive all over the world. Yeah, um, and a lot of pro academies use it. So yeah, we 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 take lots. Obviously, I've got a um, background, so have you, in Brazilian soccer schools. So we've got influences from there, um, but a lot of it's not rocket science. It's purposeful practice um, individually with the ball a lot of the time yeah. and then your match is a decision rich environment with when you can do that through constraints and conditions yeah. um, and contact time with the ball purposeful contact time with that the ball. purposeful well, the word purposeful with the contact time with the ball is the bit that I don't think people get when they see yeah. when they're slating individual a thousand toe taps or yeah. synchronised training and stuff yeah I yeah. get that yeah um, and we don't, we put a random element to everything 
and progress it and visualize things and stretch it and yeah um, go through the stages um, right up until the point where we can then can you now try that unopposed opposed and then in a match um, yeah. but it's a long process until you've been in one of those sessions and seen it actually working though it, it must be hard to understand yeah I but we've it. we've been doing it for I don't know how long it's a long time isn't it well, this together is, this is the frustration so you'll be doing that process with a child who's flourishing doing really well and then you'll get the text that says oh Tiny Tim's leaving now thank you for everything you've done he's he's joined this team yeah. playing in this league um, and you think no honestly like they were on my mental list for ones to watch for the future and sad to say it, but you've seen them in two or three years and they're no good at football anymore and probably don't enjoy it anymore possibly because, yeah, of... because of the pressures and things that they've been under it's um, it's difficult and for you know parents it's an absolute minefield which again not a plug but that's why I wrote the book because it is a minefield and parents put their child into what they think's the best place for their child and it's not always as easy or as black and white as that I think we should move on Jeff yeah in short the coaching's got easier because we know more but yeah. the personal things have got harder because we know more <laughs> yeah and I almost wish sometimes I could go back to being naive coach who was just on a, yeah, yeah. a thirst for knowledge because once you get a little bit of knowledge, it, it, it can become not as fun anymore, I guess. Right. Question on, number six. Can you pick me up now, Jeff? You question number six. Goodness gracious. Only halfway through. Um, question number six. Let's try and be a bit speedier. I've seen an ad for a training app that comes with a mat so that the children can practice at home. Do you think this type of training works? Possibly a nice one to have after what we've just said, Jeff about isolated practices because that's yeah. what this is I've seen it it's a, a map with lines on it and numbers and they plug into an app and it shows them how to do the skill following the lines it's all very one dimensional is that the right word yeah as always it depends what you want to get out of it if it's for footwork um, and for quickening up neurological pathways from the brain to the feet that's great. It's going to give you attributes that will help your child become better at football. But no child's ever going to have one of those and then just train with that and become a better player. So it's a training aid rather than any sort of shortcut to success or to make your child suddenly wonderfully good at football. I'd be interested to give it a try. And, and work it out for myself because I'm one of those people that if I do it I might really get it and then yeah it's just you're limited with space and you're limited with the progression yeah so you can you could master an individual but like an L turn or a wake, wake up and do 10-15 minutes of that in the morning and Absolutely. somebody else isn't doing that 10-15 minutes every morning yeah. add that up over a child's lifetime and I bet you there's a more confident skillful creative absolute person there with quick feet can move and the ball quickly i sometimes think people think creativity is just something that's natural and magic like you put them on a football pitch give them the ball once in every hundred touches of the ball yeah. um and suddenly they'll create something magical and i'm i can be less believing in that i think you've got to 
add things up together and put them together and take them apart again and try them and make mistakes and this didn't work for me but I'm going to add this in and that does work for me and so creativity looks like that rainbow flick or a flip flap cannon or something magical that someone's done in the game that's beat a player and got success but you don't see all the work that goes on underneath it do you? I think creativity sometimes needs decision rich environments so this is great for techniques and gives you a great foundation and a platform to be creative. Um, skill actually just means taking a technique and doing it purposefully in the right place. So you you aren't getting that opportunity watching the TV with a mat, but you're giving yourself the very best chance through repetitive practice to being able to do that or have the confidence to do that, whatever moves you're, mm. you're learning in a match or a training match in a decision-rich environment. So I think it's probably a good idea. I quite like it. Yeah. But very limited in terms of... And it will only work if the child wants to do it and is enthused about getting that mat out and trying these things out. If you're trying to force a mat onto a kid and saying, you must train at this for 15 minutes a day because Jeff said this on a podcast. That isn't going to work either because they're not going to see why they're doing it. They're not even going to want to do it. And I think those two things are massive. Just out of your comfort zone, don't you? And if a child gets that mat, they want to do it and they can see why in the future it might help them down the line because they put the work in, then that's really powerful. And, you know, if there was no um, credence to these types of things, a boxer wouldn't get on a speed bag. I was going to get to the boxing in a minute. Were you? Yeah, you've stolen my thunder. But they wouldn't know, would they? And they've been doing that since almost the beginning of boxing. Well, yeah, I mean, if a boxer just did skipping, which they do a lot of, or just did the speed bag, or even going further and doing pads, and um, they do patterns, don't they, on the pads? If they just did them, they're never going to be a good boxer, but they'll have the skills which help them when they're sparring to then become a better boxer. So, and if a boxer only does skipping, they're only ever going to be good at skipping. Yeah. So, but it's part of a a bigger picture um, that a lot of people don't see, and they skip straight to sparring. So, if a boxer went straight into sparring, they'd be getting experience and be getting a lot of thumps in the head. Um, but they wouldn't be improving as a boxer because they're not doing all the individual elements that can help them to springboard Mm. the other parts, like the sparring and and in football, like your matches. How easy is it for coaches that only believe in, I I can't remember some of the terms, but basically doing training that looks like a match, to dismiss a mat and a ball and a TV because there's no decisions to be made in there and without so that basically would say there'd be no benefits to doing that at all because you'll have to learn that I'll turn against a player so you know no one shouts out at a boxer stop skipping yeah stop getting your feet faster stop getting your hands faster and that's one of the things that it really does infuriate me or it did it probably doesn't bother me now because we're kind of over it aren't we but it's so easy to dismiss that mat and the ball without trying it, without yeah. seeing a child enjoy it. 
understand why it might benefit them and then get some decent results from it and why dismiss that if it works for somebody i think you hit the nail on the head with it i'm going to try and sum it up i think if your child has asked for one of these mats and you can afford it get it yeah do not buy one without your child knowing and thrust it upon them um you could maybe show your child the mat and see what they think and if they want one great but if it's your idea it's not going to work if it's their idea it's got half a chance of being used enough to to actually have an impact on their neurological pathways um and quicken up their feet i'm sure it does other things too i haven't had one no but through two years of lockdowns we did this stuff at home via zoom sessions and it does work yeah just without a mat. I guess the lines are there to help paint well, pictures and right from the start, yeah. and then you progress and progress. I think there's something very similar with cricket and learning how to, where to place your feet for a drive and a back foot, okay. defensive and different different shots. That um, again for me, I, I'm I don't think I'm the type of learner that sees somebody move and do something and gets it. So it wasn't until I was in my late late teens when I started coaching and I was asked to coach the, the Matthews drop the shoulder and go the other way the Paul Matthews <laughs> friend of ours for those of you very slightly older Stanley Matthews um, and I'd never done that movement in my life I'd never dropped my shoulder and tried to go the other way probably because I've got no pace and there would have been no point in me trying to do that and I'm, I'm balancing a defender and trying to run around them Um so I had to really, really break it down for myself before I could even try and coach it because I couldn't go, here's the Stanley Matthews move, everyone copy this. Yeah, it's different and then learning styles. And then fall over it? the ball. So I had to really think about some of those movements, which is why well, I'm not bad at coaching the Stanley Matthews now probably but because mm. it would have been very similar to almost breaking the movements down into that mat. I was the opposite. I was like, oh, what's Gazza done there? get me a ball I'm going to try that and yeah. then I'm going to go out and try it against my friends so I would see copy and then yeah mess up and uh, learn from the mistakes but, but keep at it right we better push on really if, um, we're not ploughing through these very quickly are we so Jeff this one's for you so I will ask it Jeff do you have any ideas on how futsal could be grown in this country if we could have the shortened version, that'd be great. How could futsal be grown in this country? Um, I'd love to see more county FAs provide a lot more futsal leagues for people to play for in. For those of you who don't know, futsal's the FIFA-approved indoor version of the game with a slightly heavier weighted ball that stays on the floor. Um, Five-a-side and lots of varying rules like kick-ins and fly keepers and things like that and it's um i don't think there's anything better for decision rich environments for children's development but jeff not only has wessex futsal club that has a youth development but they've also got a men's team playing in the top flight of english um, football tier one and pezza, Sorry, jeff, to put in there. pezza street soccer feeds into the youngest age group so you yeah, look after because they, they tend to have the attributes as well don't yeah. they to, so pez looks after the school years one to six they get very good with the ball at their feet and then they can come and do their kind of futsal team training 
plus some more ball at your feet. Which all helps them to be better footballers. Yes, it does. Don't switch off at this point. Um, yeah, so the the simple answer would be just counting FAs to provide more futsal games, programs, matches, tournaments, as much stuff as you can for all the age groups, so that kids get to experience what it really feels like um, playing the proper yeah. rules. One of the trophy events that they have to have every year in their leagues could be a futsal event. It takes a bit more organising because you need a sports hall. And why not do it through the winter months when pitches are waterlogged yeah. and kids aren't playing much football anyway and parents are getting frustrated because they keep waking up on a Saturday or Sunday morning with a text message to say, game's off. Yeah, agreed. I'm going to throw it a bit further out there. Um I think futsal will grow instantly, well not instantly, but massively quickly if the pro clubs got involved. And I'm just looking at what they've done with women's football and I think women's netball as well. So they got all the pro clubs involved. I mean, when I first knew women's football, there was teams like the Doncaster Bells and things like this. Um which will probably be the equivalent to your Wessex and things, and then suddenly you had your Chelsea's, your Liverpool's, your Man United's, some got into it sooner than others. Um, they got a bit of TV coverage, got a bit of money towards them, made it more professional, and it soon accelerated. So if you had a futsal league of your Chelsea's, Man United's, Man City's, etc., etc., um, it would get people watching for a start, and it could be a mixture of scholars or academy players that play or players that aren't getting a game for their club um, that I just think there'd be a way where it could benefit the clubs to give their players training um, to help them develop plus be a really really good spectacle to watch I mean people could then tune in and watch Charlie Webster playing futsal I think oh, he really is a good player he's coming through can't wait to leave yeah. gets a game in the first team you know type thing and, and he's getting really good futsal development to aid his football development and those the academies of all those clubs could link into their local decent futsal clubs and it could be a really good aftercare package for some kids that maybe have dropped out of the academy because of different things where their attributes really suit futsal and then it rebuilds yeah. their confidence back up because that's normally kind of I don't want to say we get used for but it happens quite a bit that somebody drops out of an academy and then they come to Wessex for a bit to basically build their confidence yeah. back up again before joining another team again so and even if it hasn't got players that are registered with the club it could be a place for players that have been released yeah so it could be a whole released player program yeah. from academy all the way through and they could put it on the TV um, especially this time of year Imagine having players that have just been released from Chelsea, Man United, Arsenal, Man City and so on and so forth playing a summer futsal league where everyone is craving for a little bit of football because the season's finished. I would tune in to watch Liverpool v Everton futsal or you know, Man United, Man City played by players that have been released. You get loads of scouts there to watch it. You get a bit of TV interest which creates money. Um and could really help some of these kids that are being released as well. well go down a different pathway, help them with maybe yeah. some coaching badges and things along the way. I don't know. I just think there might be 
a relatively simple solution to grow it and then that would feed down to grassroots level yeah i'd quite like to see all all young children start out in futsal as well so rather than do they start 5v5 anyway for grassroots football yeah now? so under sevens that for me that really should be futsal anyway rather than being out in the freezing cold through the winter months with six seven eight year olds i don't know what age it starts yeah so from what we've said today having a under sevens team that rarely gets to play during the winter and then when they do having parents shouting out from the sides and coaches yep. that just want to win scrap that get them indoors in a nice environment playing futsal developing really quickly and becoming really good at football um, and then the other thing that I always think would be great for the game of futsal but for football as well um, and it's not just in this country but it would really grow the game in this country is if it was an Olympic sport and maybe they scrapped football as an Olympic sport because we've got a World Cup, we've got a Euros, we've got yeah all the all these tournaments that are going or on. Add to it, that maybe not yeah, yeah. It. But how good would that be? Maybe, like, you know. Well, I, what did I hear the other day? Um, they're trying to get involved in Olympics, and they think they can. Oh, it's going to bug me. But I remember the guy saying, "Well, they've got break dancing, so I don't know why they wouldn't have." What we're doing. Futsal would be such a good Olympic sport, wouldn't it? I mean, basketball's massive. Well, I think the viewing figures for Olympics has gone down, especially in this country. I mean, it's sort of obviously peaked for the the London 2012, but um, since then, I think they've they've plummeted. But you get people tuning in to oh, watch the futsal. Every top level game's exciting because let's say you're three one down with three minutes to go. Quite often, the team will go fly keeper where the keeper comes over the halfway line and turns it into almost a 5v4. Really high risk. You might get a goal, yeah. but you're just as likely to concede. And teams really go for it towards the end of a game. And the amount of times they end up big finals in extra time and penalties. And it's, it's just so exciting. We went out to Barcelona to watch Barca v Inter movie star, didn't we? Yeah, the two big teams. Four or five years ago, was it now? Yeah. Doesn't seem that long. but And it was so exciting. The crowd were amazing. Absolutely brilliant it was. I think that game finished three all, didn't it? And But for all the reasons we love it for children's development, so more shots, more tackles, more affordances for action, um, more goals, more chances, etc. Et Those reasons accelerate children's football development are also really exciting. Yeah. So they're exactly the same reasons for the well, adults as it is. You said about a few times today a decision rich environment yeah. and I think that's an environment where you make lots of mistakes and you quite often get that because it's such a high fast paced game with lots of close contact and not yeah. a lot of space to play in so and Messi, Ronaldo Neymar the list is endless players came from a futsal background so cool question number eight that was the futsal show with Jeff Bonner <laughs> right, question number eight. Yeah, we've got three left. Let's see if we can get through these sharpish if we can, but still add some value, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> Am I answering, asking or are you? I'll do it. It's a similar on one. Then, My child is eight years old and regularly gets left on the bench for his team. He's quite small for his age and often doesn't get as much playing time in the bigger games. His friends all play their and he wants to stay, but we are worried about his development. Can you give me some advice, please? Hmm. This is a tricky one. Um, again, I'll go back to 
what we said many times in this episode, the training's the most important thing. So as long as he's getting plenty of time during training and then he's developing, that's the most important thing. If he's not worried about being on the bench, just wants to be part of it and the training's good, then I can't see too many red flags. Um, but it's definitely a chat that should be had with the manager as to why they're on the bench and to how they're helping it him to develop and improve so that one day has got a chance to to play in that team or certainly in another one yeah so a couple of things have you got parent blinkers and are they on the bench more than anyone else or are you just noticing it um, every time it's your child in particular and not actually work it out we have had parents that stand there with a stopwatch in the past haven't we and then yeah, still gone, wrong. gone mad when they've had a minute less by accident yeah. because the ball went out of play or... yeah it is difficult yeah. for managers to keep on top of it um, but if they genuinely are left on the bench a lot more than everybody else then if I was a parent of an 8 year old that was stood there watching my child being put on the bench at eight years of age, I'd be, I'd be pretty upset if I'm being honest. And yeah, well, it sounds like they want to solve that. The the answers are all in there, really. Or the keys to it is, you know, they're 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 not happy. Otherwise, they wouldn't be asking the question. Yeah. And they're saying he's quite small, so obviously they're blaming that he's quite small. Maybe they've been told that that's why he's on the bench because he's quite small. I think the problem is he likes it and wants to stay. Yeah. Because um, if that wasn't in there, I'd say, get them out, go and find somewhere where they can play. Yeah, you know, I've said that the matches aren't that important, but it's it's the game, and that's what we all love, and why the kids play and why they train is to get better at the actual match. So the kids got as much right as anyone else. Yeah, exactly. To to, to play, and if it's not at that team, it should be at another one. Crikey, eight years old. There should be a rule that they all have equal playing time anyway, in my opinion. And, yeah. or, or at least an unwritten rule within teams. And I think there are some really, really brilliant ones out there that do that. Um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly equal playing time because there no. are different positions. And sometimes, we, we've done it, haven't we, where the person who likes to sit at the back a bit more and is a bit more unselfish for the team plays more. Yeah. Because they're being unselfish for the team. And no one else wants to play there. So no one else well, wants to do it. That so child's going to play then, they're going to play a bit more than exactly you. Exactly that. So there are some exceptions to that rule, but generally people shouldn't be coming off feeling like they why they sat on yeah. the bench. I, I, I get it from certain manager's point of view, and I've been there myself. It could be any sort of game, but in particular maybe a, a cup game or against your local rivals or something. And even at that age in a trophy tournament, you might be playing your crosstown rivals or something and you're winning 2-1. There's a few minutes left and it's Tiny Tim's turn to go on and Tiny Tim is tiny and you think if this child goes on, it's not their type of game, we could well lose. And unfortunately, I've been there and I've had to grit my teeth and and do it. And mm. I actually did it in a cup final Um with a child and it was their turn to be rotated on and I thought this is where we give it up and we won the child came on and played well so you never know so if you're managers and coaches listening you've you've got a moral responsibility really to play the kids that are in your squad that doesn't mean you should move them on either if they're not part of your plans but 
how can you develop that child to to fit into the team especially if they enjoy it and they want to stay it's um it is a tricky one for everyone apart from the kid it seems in this one who's not too bothered so you know let's have it right let's get the balance right with it all Um, but have a conversation with the manager ask questions give them your concerns and how can you all help your child get more minutes on the pitch which is what everyone wants in that situation I can't lose sight of the fact that it's an eight-year-old and probably two years earlier, they're probably turning up to the sessions with a teddy bear. Like. I know, it is ridiculous. It's um, all gone a little bit crazy. Yeah. I mean, personally, I would like to see this child move if things don't happen and get some playing time. Enjoy the game while it lasts and while they're enjoying the enthusiasm of football. And they're, they're not young for long. I know that. Yeah. My child's a teenager now and doesn't play football anymore plays futsal with you Jeff which is great um, but doesn't play football anymore and you think back to it and think oh if I could go back I'd probably just try and enjoy it a bit more mm-hmm. so he, enjoy it now he's one that's in the younger age group of a double age band and it's really benefited this year and doing really well he's got a chance to be a pro <laughs> 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 right let's move on very very quickly question number nine which is better for a child's development a new coach at the start of each season or the same coach all the way through the youth age groups? I actually think that is an unbelievably brilliant question. I'm not sure I have the answer, so I'll bat it over to you, Jeff. Um, it's such an obvious answer, but it's going to depend on each individual coach, yeah, isn't it? Like, there's, there's if, you're stuck with a, if you're stuck with a rubbish coach the whole way through, then <laughs> no. no. <laughs> You'd be desperate yeah. to change at the end of the season. Um and there might be some real benefits of having a different coach every season, bringing you different things. Different ideas, different yeah. training methods, and no favouritism for certain players. Sometimes it's just really nice, even with the young age groups, just to get a new buzz again, isn't it? A bit like yeah. Premier League managers changing over all the time, isn't it? Like They normally get a little bounce back for the next few games and it can be really exciting working with somebody different. Um, but See, again, I love the sound of that, but some of the most successful teams, I'm not talking about players, Yeah are the ones that have had the same group and the same manager or you know maybe same sort of coaching setup from under sevens all the way through to under 16s and there's got to be something really important psychologically about that about it being a safe place yes. like they know they're not going to get ditched or feel like they've been ditched if you like by their coach so there must be something really important with that because they've always had the most team cohesion the kids have always seem the happiest to me like, yeah and no trials they're... every summer and stuff which puts pressure on them yeah um, which is do you know I'm just getting off topic slightly I have two kids not turn up at an after school club on Monday because they were going for trials and they were trialling for a team that they already play for and I just I couldn't believe it but anyway sorry I had to get it off my chest yeah so it is a great question but unless you know every individual coach involved and yeah I, I would probably rather have had a football journey like our good mate Eggie's team where they pretty much started together all together with you um Eggie took them on the following season yeah and they stayed together all the way up to under 16s yeah they went on tours together and they won so much they won the Europa Cup they they just had the best time champions on various occasions best time ever every season didn't they and they lost Finn and Kean yeah. and Joe Rogers to pro academies. Um, Sanjay. 
Sanjay to a pro academy and they replaced them and they never lost that togetherness bond team spirit which I know, you know obviously they were a good team and they were producing nice parents nice all parents. got along and yeah and they all got it and I mean that's a perfect scenario well I think a perfect scenario would be to have that but then to maybe bring in a different coach every now and again to freshen it up which might be easier said than done yeah but if, if you can uh, when I was a chairman of football club well, I liked to have a manager that stayed the same but I liked them on training nights to go around and coach a different age group and it didn't really work because not everyone bought into it and as the club got bigger not everyone trained at the same venue on the same night so you couldn't just tip up and go Eggy tonight I want you to take a session for the under sevens which was great in theory and we did do it and it did really help and freshen it up and was good for the coach's personal development but when it's they start getting a bit older and they're going for Wiltshire Cups and things like that, there's too much pressure for them to help their team to win the game at the weekend and they might not think, and the parents might not think, that them going and helping out with the under-7s or 8s is um, going to help their age group win at the weekend. So I get it, but if you can mix it up a little bit, mix your coaches around the age groups... Um, you'll be surprised what a uh, injection of enthusiasm that can give to, to all the players so and the, the coaches. Yeah, the, the question is about my, what, which is better for my child's development. Right, so okay. for development, it might well be freshen up the coaches and yeah. have, having maybe a consistent manager the whole way through, like your Eggie, who was absolutely yeah. brilliant and the kids loved him at every single age group. And a big shout-out to of, Butch, his assistant. Yeah, yeah, of course. Amazing as well. And Simon was involved as well, wasn't he? Yeah, like, yeah. There was, there was a whole community of people, wasn't it? That, yeah. That dragged it the whole way through. It was amazing. Question number ten. Yes. Wow. The last question. We're almost there, Jeffrey. Are you going to ask it? Yeah. My son loves futsal, and we can see the benefit it has had on his football development. He's going into secondary school next year and we're worried that if he wants to fulfil his dreams of being a footballer, then he should now focus solely on football and join a second football team. Any advice would be gratefully appreciated. Mm, well, you're obviously Mr Futsal, but um, it's a football-related question really, isn't it? Um, I would say it's very difficult with when you don't know child and the situation and what the teams are they're going to but I would say don't try and chase something don't try and fix something if it's not broken so if everything's going great at the moment and they're playing futsal and football and they're progressing and developing and enjoying it and don't go chasing something that might not be there by giving up either of those things I wouldn't suggest that they gave up football to concentrate on futsal or the futsal team to join a second football team I see this a lot um, where parents think if they're playing for a Saturday and a Sunday team, they might have more chance of progressing as a footballer and being scouted. Because it's football and football for football. Yes, not exactly. Yeah. And just mathematics, if you're playing 40 games a season instead of 20, you're going to have more chances to be spotted by a professional scout. 
So it looks to me like to do that, you're actually looking for a shortcut to success rather than staying on the pathway to success, um, which they could well already be on. So I would speak to everyone involved, including the child in that process, um, but I would err on the side of caution. It's a bit difficult for you, this one, because you're in it and yeah. you get this a lot. So yeah. I do um, see it a lot. To, so you're a great person to have, obviously, for one side of it, um, but trying to be, trying to take the emotion out of it might be tricky for you. I don't know what you think. Yeah, well, I, I've got parents that have stuck all the way through that will say, if you're going to drop one or the other, and I'm not saying that you should do either because both can complement each other brilliantly. If you're going to drop one or the other, if you drop your football and focus on your futsal, you'll go back to football a better player. If you drop your futsal and focus on your football, you'll go back to futsal a worse player. Yeah, so, I can see that. You might go back to football. If you stick at, if you drop futsal and stick at football, you might be slightly more experienced but you're not going to be as good a footballer as if you carry on playing futsal. And I would I'd back that up with lots of people I've seen go and do it where they've actually stopped their futsal for a year, then come back, and I think they've stopped enjoying their futsal because they're not as good as they might have been, and they can feel it and see it, and the others have progressed as well. So yeah. um, I would, my advice would be if you want to be a great football player, do some futsal alongside your football. Um, because of the reasons we've already said more affordances for action decision rich environments you need quicker feet you make more mistakes maybe so you accelerate your learning the the list goes on and on and on build your confidence you learn to get your head up quicker I mean literally the the benefits are uh, I don't know what the word is I mean when you do play a lot of futsal then you go on a football pitch it just feels like you're out in space and like you just feel like you're in the middle of nowhere that's how much time and space you've got yeah and it can be a bit of a struggle to start with yeah. to adapt because you're like wow I can do anything with this ball I've got so much time it's a different space. kind of pressure realising yeah. that you can do what you want almost yeah. isn't it yeah I agree with that but I've you much adapt more... very quickly yeah, yeah. yeah rather than going back the other way which is as we started this podcast we'd rather it was there yeah and then you know you have to learn how to use it than it not be there at all so I'm obviously going to have a futsal bias, but I'm going to say carry on doing what you're doing, please, because your futsal on one night a week or whatever they're doing yeah. and football on the next day. Well, it sounds like they've got the perfect balance at the moment. Yeah, and you don't need to chase something. Yeah, chase something that's not there which might damage. It will be to the detriment in the long run, you know, in the next two years, I reckon, for that person's football development if you just focused on football. The trouble with anything is you can only connect the dots looking backwards. So it's guesswork, isn't it, for parents at the moment? And they never quite sure what's best, as none of us are for our children. We want to make the right decisions. Um, and if this is somebody locally, I don't know if it's local or if it's um I am further not allowed from... to name names, Jeffrey. Okay. Well, I am. I can't remember. <laughs> um, if it's somebody locally... I think it is, yeah. Then they're going to be a good football player because they've been doing Pezza Street Soccer and they're probably being begged by another football team to go to their football team. Yeah, but in one or two years... With another question we have, one or two years' time, 
they won't have been doing their futsal and the Pez's coaching that has got them to that level that a team's begging for them to go and yeah. do more. So, I mean, would you I... rather be begged to play playing for a football team than getting released because you started trialling other children, which it's seems to be the story? Very controversial, but I think playing football can very rapidly suck a player back into being average. Yeah. If they've been doing all the right things and then they stop doing those to go and play just football. Depending on how the, the training is, it's not everyone, but I think it can really... It's, if the training's focused on results and organising the team rather than development, um, your child can get sucked into being very average very quickly and just fit into some manager's plan of how they're going to win a game of football. It's not a very positive note to finish it on, is it? No. <laughs> can we finish with a positive, Jeffrey? It did finish very positively last time, Yes, didn't do it? everything. Do everything. Do futsal. But as with everything, you have to get the balance right. Um, and I think with this question, you've probably got the balance right. And as we ended the last podcast... How was it, Jeffrey? It's going to be my tagline. I've forgotten already. Um, just remember, football's not that important, but children are. And that's my final word. Don't forget that this podcast was brought to you by Dimensions Carpentry and Construction, a friendly family-run business for turnkey refurb projects based in Andover. Jeff, we got through it. Bit of a marathon. But it was good. I think we did all right. Completed it, mate completed it mate well thanks as always and hopefully on the next show we'll have our resident psychology expert otherwise known as a psychologist sports psychologist Betsy Tuffrey who was uh, with us on episode one of series two so thanks Jeff see you next time I'll see you next time mate take care